as you can tell just walking in here, we're not an overly traditional church. But <clears throat> occasionally, traditions serve the purpose of furthering our relationship with Jesus. And the risk of tradition is that as you move along into tradition, it can become religious. And things that become religious are often the death of relationship. We serve a fiercely relational God, and from Genesis to Revelation, and even as we open the Bible and, and attempt to unpack it as a, as a church, it's to understand and to know this really love story from Genesis to Revelation, to know this re fiercely relational God. So occasionally there will be things that we do that's like, oh, is this a traditional church? A little bit. Is this a non-traditional church? A little bit. This is a Jesus church. Amen. Yeah? All right. Good morning. Here we are. Let's see. I have, um, Karen, thank you for that. That was special. Um, two, uh, I guess two additional things. Um, first additional thing, we have a Christmas Eve service right here on. Oh, look at that. Okay. And we have, we're doing two of them, five and seven. They're going to be a tight one-hour service. There'll be kids involved. It'll just, just bring your whole family. Um, now, the reason we're doing two, can anybody guess? Bring a friend. Bring a friend. Abby was already inviting our neighbors the other day, and I was like, come on, she's already out there doing it. But that, that's the reason. This, of any other time of the year, that is an opportunity to reach out when people are likely to come with you to church. So reach out and invite somebody. Yeah? Okay. Now, I need to have a quick family meeting. We have these at our house. Occasionally something happens. We go, we've got to have a family meeting. We've got to all sit and talk. So this is a family meeting. If you're new here, just hang on. This will be five or six minutes, and then we'll get on with it. Um, if you've been here very long, you know that we, um, I'm not much for the show, right? Um, I'm into, and we as a team here that are leading this church are into really the Jesus journey. And that's what we're inviting you to be a part of. Your own Jesus journey, our Jesus journey, the Jesus journey we take together. And so I'm going to do something that I probably, uh, you know, different people would have different views on. But here's the deal. Um, we as a church are in transition, and I want you to know, okay? Okay. Um, so this property goes for sale June, uh, excuse me, January of 22. This property, that's right. Um, the, the, the church that is selling it um, is attempting to sell it, I think, to just generate some funds so that they can continue to, to go and, and thrive as a church. Because of that, they're going to put it on the open market, and they're going to go for the person who brings the highest bid. Okay. Um, so, uh, I've dug a little bit more into that and met with some of their trustees, and, and as it sits, um, they are going to attempt to sell it under a change in, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone help me, uh, the designation of the real estate here. Zoning. zoning, thank you, I appreciate that. They're going to attempt to sell it under a change of zoning, um, so it would be zoned more like a Mayfair. So there'd be retail on the bottom, potentially, and maybe multiple, built, multiple condos or whatever on top. So guess that, what that does with the price. So even if we had the cash, here's what I want you to know. We as a lead team, if we had 100% of the cash today, we would not buy this place because of what they're listing it for. Am I being clear enough? Because a lot of us are going to ask, well, why don't we? And I agree, we already, we've already tried, we've already attempted. Um, so we are under contract here till June, the end of June. Is that correct? End of June? So we're not going anywhere. We have a six-month runway. Um, and let me tell you the three options that our lead team is working on. And, and Mike or Nathan or Meg, I don't know where you guys are, but if I miss one, please feel free to raise your hand. So option number one is that after this sells, we can continue to lease it for some period of time because whoever buys it is going to take some time to generate plans and whatever, and that would give us a longer runway of transition. 
Sound good? Option two, um, Monica, I don't know if Monica goes this year this morning, um, but she works with the uh, New Hanover County school system, and she has actually found and potentially, if we want it, um, has secured rolling grice, which is interesting. Um, I don't, there's mixed feelings on that, um, but she has also said that the gym is open um, and the uh, cafeteria is open for kids' ministry, for middle school and high school ministry in the evening. So interesting option. Rolling Grice is a couple miles down that way, also on College Road. Option two. Option three, the lead team is actually looking at some permanent space or more permanent that we would lease, um, and that sort of remains to be seen. So those are the three kind of main options that we sort of have on the table before us. Um, let me also say, uh, we would meet in a traditional church. I'd meet under a steeple. I'd meet with pews. I'd meet in a movie theater. I'd meet in the mall. I'd meet in the Harris Teeter. I'd meet in an old fellowship hall. I don't really care where we meet, okay? It just, it just isn't about the building. What's it about? King Jesus and him working out his life in us and through us and then us journeying together. So here's what we know. Since we've moved into this little building, we've doubled in size and giving. I have no, uh, no doubt at all that whatever God is going to move to us next, he is continue to grow, going to continue to grow us both individually and as a church. Amen? Amen. So, breathe deep. <sighs> God's got this. This is no big deal. This is actually exciting. I love this type of thing because I'm like, wow, God's got something for us. I wonder where he's taking us. So here's uh, probably what we don't want necessarily from you is a bunch of brainstorming and ideas and 400 thoughts, okay? Now, let me also say, Melanie, Melanie found this building for us. So could God use one of you all to open up the next space? Yes, absolutely. So uh, task number one is to be actively praying, okay? Task number two is just to be looking around. Sound good? We're committed to keep you updated as this process unfolds, but we have potentially six months here. If we found a place sooner, we could potentially launch sooner into something else, but there you have it. Family meeting. Mike, am I missing anything? Nathan? Meg? Yes, Paul. Thank you. This, I am so grateful. Okay, so this is Paul and Denise over here. Uh, they're going to be leading Celebrate Recovery for us. Now, this is so good. Come on. If we go to a place like Rolling Grice, Rolling Grice or another place like it, and we end up leasing a spot and we don't have a permanent space, we will secure office space. And in that office space, ideally, there will be some type of meeting space where groups like CR and other groups could meet, okay? And ideally, there would be a kitchen in that office space where we could brew yellow truck coffee, because Shannon called and said, are we going back to brewing in my dining room? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Okay, so if you have questions about CR, see these two, but uh, that is definitely the idea. Okay, thank you. That was great. Anything else? All right, we are in Matthew 1, and we're going to talk this morning about Joseph. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. I think Joseph is one of the most unsung um, sort of heroes of the Christmas story. I uh, had to call a friend this week, and when I called that friend, I said to him, I just thought I'd be a little bit further along in my journey than I am. You ever said that? You know, when I was 16, 17, 18, I'm 40 now, 
I thought that by the time I was 30 and 35 and 40, I'd have it all together. I'd be like these great Bible characters and these great preachers and these great leaders, right? And I'd have everything together. And guess what I've discovered? I just can't believe I'm not further along in my journey. One of the things that I attempt to do, and we're going to do it this morning as we look at the life of Joseph, is I'm going to unpack even a small portion of his life, because it's not that I want to um, dishonor or eviscerate Joseph, but I want you to peer into Joseph's humanity so that you can make application to whose humanity? And then? Yours. So, so one of the ideas and one of the ways I tend to read scripture is I think if we ruthlessly look at the life of the person, even their failures, even their weaknesses, what God loves to do is take a broken person who has failures and who has weaknesses, and then his strength is most glorified in that person. You see what I'm saying? So what we're going to do here as we look at the life of Joseph is actually I'm going to flip something, um, and, and I want you to peer sort of into his life, and then we're going to uh, attempt to make some application from his life into our own. Sound good? Okay. Um, let, me, let me start with uh, this as we start reading. We're going to read in uh, Matthew 1. We're going to start reading in verse 18. But um, we tend to think that um, Jesus by trade was a carpenter. Now, so that comes from this Greek word tec uh, uh, tecton, and I'm not going to get too far into it, but um, if anybody been to Israel? Did you notice that there are not lots of trees? So tecton actually is this Greek word, and what it means, um, it does mean carpenter. It could mean carpenter, but another translation would say that it is a mason or a builder um, or, or a general contractor. So most likely, Joseph was a mason, because what there's lots of in Israel is rock and stone. That's exactly right. So did they probably work with wood? Yes, but would that have been the, been the main medium? Probably not. So you have Joseph, who is, a, um, is, is probably a stonemason and or a general contractor. So he's probably, you know, hardened hands, um, strong build. I mean, he, he would have worked out in the field all of his life. So you have this a tradesman, um, and let's pick it up there as you understand Joseph, and then even as you begin to generate a picture in your mind of what this Joseph would have looked like, I want you to begin to also generate a picture of this Jesus and what he may have looked like. Because I think one of the, the, the great dishonors that we do to Jesus is we paint this image of him as this weak and frail and, you know, no, 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 he would have had black hair, he would have had dark skin, he would have been tanned by the sun, he would have been strong because he moved rocks all day, Right? This is, it's a very different Jesus than what is portrayed. If, if, you would go to, if we went to Israel and we all journeyed around Israel by foot for three years and hiked up and down those hills all through the desert, I'd guarantee we'd be a fit group of people. Okay, so with those things in mind, let's start reading. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if a young girl in our church got pregnant and tried to tell us that? Can you imagine? The Holy Spirit did this to me. Just think about that for a minute. Can you imagine what we'd say? Sweetie. <laughs> Honey. I mean, but go there. Mary was probably about 13 years old. 
But before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Now, just pause there a quick second. Um, in the ESV and the King James Version, this says, uh, because he was a just man. I called this message Joseph the Just. <clears throat> um, the New Living actually says Joseph the Righteous Man. Uh, the NIV says, one of the NIVs says Joseph faithful to the law. So regardless, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her public, uh, to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let me go ahead and read 20, and then we'll pause. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, I'm going to come back and read in just a minute, but let's, let's talk about and see if we can get our heads around this just a little bit. First thing that I think is just weird about all this is, uh, we probably don't understand the difference to a, um, a Hebrew family and, and the idea of engagement, betrothal, and a proper marriage. So, Because you read this and you're like, what is, what is this? Before they came together, pledged to be married, it's, it's like it's confusing, right? So here it is in a nutshell. Um, engagement happens when uh, kids are first born or when they're very young. So two families come together. So Abby and I would go, hey, we like this family over here. You all have a kid. Let's like, you know. And, and so the kids are literally engaged from the time they're four, five, six, eight, ten. Does that make sense? So that's when the engagement begins. Then a betrothal happens, and, and betrothal is like this absolutely binding marriage, although they haven't been married, they haven't been with one another physically, and they're not living in the same home. But in order to break that betrothal, it requires a divorce. Anybody seen that Fiddler on the Roof? Remember that, that movie? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a something, catch me a kid. Find me a fine, catch me a catch, thank you. Um, that, that's the idea here. So, so uh, what's happened is Joseph and, and Mary have probably been engaged since the time they were potentially little. Then the betrothal takes place, and they are fully married, although they're not you know, sleeping together, they're not living together under the same roof, and the marriage ceremony proper hasn't taken place. That betrothal goes for one year. At the end of that one year, there is a full marriage proper and a big celebration, and then they leave their parents' homes and move in with one another. Make sense? So that's kind of the background on what's, what's happening here, first of all. So uh, Mary is pledged, or she's betrothed now at this point, um, to Joseph. So uh, now, here's, I think, the next question that we have to look at is, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man or a just man. So righteous or just as compared to what? We've just been reading the book of Exodus. So when it says Joseph is a righteous man or a just man, what are we probably referencing there? The law. I don't know who said that, but absolutely. Okay, so I'm not going to flip here, but I'm going to read it right to you. Deuteronomy 22, verses 22 through 24, if you want to read it later, says, <clears throat> If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge evil from Israel. If a man happens to meet in a town... Uh, a virgin pledged to be married and sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of the town and stone them. Okay, so how do we rectify this? We got Joseph the just, Joseph the righteous, Joseph who knows the law. So according to the law, what should he do at this moment? 
Stone Mary. So this sent me on a little bit of a, okay, how do we, how do we even see Joseph as just if he's, and, and he's, he's known as just, even the townspeople in Nazareth would have given him the name just or righteous. So how do we see him that way when he's not doing what the law says to do? And the only thing that I could find and even come across and begin to understand is this idea that uh, Joseph understood the Mosaic law almost in a prophetic way. In other words, he was able to look through it really through the eyes of Isaiah's suffering servant. So go with me here just a minute. So I'm proposing to you that Joseph's understanding of the law has been um, broadened or he's able to see in and through the law through uh, the book of Isaiah. So in the book of Isaiah, there's four times um, where Isaiah writes about a suffering servant. Now, who's the suffering servant? Jesus. That's exactly right. All right, so let's flip there quickly. It is Isaiah 42, if you want to follow along. I'm going to read three or four verses, but I want to focus on one. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Who are we talking about? King Jesus. That's right. I will put my capital S spirit on him. That's the... Holy Spirit, that's right, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Now, here's what I want to actually propose to you, is I think Joseph, being righteous, understanding the Mosaic law, is able to understand and grasp a larger sort of picture of what this Yahweh God is doing through the book of Isaiah. In other words, I think Joseph is actually a theologian, and he's looking at Mary like a bruised reed or a, or a smoldering wick. So let me unpack that quickly. A bruised reed, so in this day and age, um, they would use reeds um, to write with okay, like a pen. Um, they'd use reeds to bind together and build houses out of. They'd even use reeds in certain places in the Middle East to build boats. Now, if a reed is bruised, what's it good for? To be broken and thrown into the fire, cook with it. That's exactly what they would have done. So a bruised reed he will not break. So uh, number one, I am suggesting to you that I think Joseph is somehow able to prophetically see that this Mary is a bruised reed. And I think he's somehow able to see that she should not be drug out into the city gates. And Okay, let's keep going. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So the way uh, this worked in, in, the, in the ancient, um, in the Middle East, is they'd have a, a little um, uh, clay jar full of, um, olive oil and a little wick would hang out of it and it would burn. As the oil got lower and lower and the wick got smaller, sometimes that wick would um, flip out of the little jar and they'd put a little pot of water beneath uh, wherever the, the um, lamp was and if it get, got snuck or if it was burning out and it began to flip, it would flip out over that and fall into the and be snuffed out, extinguished. That's exactly right. So, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So the imagery here is that uh, I think Joseph recognizes supernaturally um, that this woman should not be uh, taken out and stoned, that this is a bruised reed, that this is a dimly burning wick, and somehow he is able to get in touch with the very heartbeat of God and see through what is happening here, and he becomes compassionate on her position. Now, what's interesting is I also think for, I don't think for a minute that he actually thinks that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. I don't think he thinks that. He has judged her at this moment. He is judging her. So let's keep going. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this... Now, um, let's look at that word considered for just a second. Verse 20. Uh, it, it, I think it was John Stott who said, um, the Bible in its original form is the unfallible or unchangeable word of God. Is our English version the original form? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a translation from the original form. So uh, let's look at this word considered for just a minute, and here's where I want to bring Joseph's humanity to play. Um, one definition of considered in the Greek is um, considered. The second definition um, is very upset, uh, fuming, mad, um, passionate. Um, let me actually even find it here on my notes. I think it's worth reading. Um, to become agitated or angry, intensely passionate, provoked or fuming with anger. I, I see that face. That's a good face. So let's, let's read it again like that. <clears throat> because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public degrace, disgrace. He had in his mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had fumed in his anger, that's probably the way I would translate it. And I think that's a much more human response to what's happening here. And I think you even get some insight into who Joseph is as a man. He is, he is fully man, and he is dealing with this reality. He's probably feeling betrayed. He's feeling like, what is she even talking about? She, not only has she betrayed me, now she's going to lie to me? You follow me? So after he has fumed in his anger, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Interesting. I don't want to uh, deviate into dreams. They should be talked about. We should talk about them here at some point. But it seems that Joseph has at least four, probably five dreams by the time you get to the end of chapter 2. Does God speak in dreams? Yes. Yes. Does he speak today in dreams? Um, let me temper that uh, with one thing. I can't find it even in my notes. It's somewhere here. I think it's Jeremiah, um, it'd be nice if I found it, wouldn't it? I think it's Jeremiah 32. I'm going to have to look for it later. Um, but Jeremiah 32, and this is just a side note for those of you who are, are into dreams, um, would indicate that there can be dreams that don't originate with God. And there can be dreams that lead you into deception. So just a word of caution. I believe in dreams. I think God speaks in dreams. And I think we'd be amiss if we didn't acknowledge that he does. But just because you have a dream doesn't mean it's from... That's the caution. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Um, so after Joseph had fumed, um, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, um, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So that means do not be afraid to go through with this full marriage ceremony. Because what is conceived in her is from... The Holy Spirit, that's right. So, so now you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have Yahweh God showing up to Joseph in a dream, and he's actually saying, hey, Mary's telling the truth. Hello? And Joseph's... <clears throat> she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, what's fascinating to me about even this, the name Jesus is... The, the Hebrew version of that Jesus is actually Joshua. And Joshua uh, was the aid of, who remembers? Moses. So you have Moses, which means drawing out. God drew the Israelite people out of 
Egypt, and then you have Joshua, God saves, Jehovah saves, which is God sending them into the promised land. So right from the beginning, you have this idea that who is Jesus? He is, he is uh, God who saves. He is the Jesus who saves, the God who saves his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is quoting Isaiah, which is why I think Joseph was studying Isaiah. Um, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, let's pause there uh, for just a minute, and then we're going to flip back to Joseph. What is so beautiful about this is this is beginning to reveal Jesus, the God who saves, but it's also Jesus, the God who is with us. So, so here's the, the sort of mind-blowing thing is that um, in every other um, religious walk or journey or, or context, you don't have a God coming to be with people. You have people striving to reach God. So, so what is absolutely transformational in this thing is this is Jesus who is going to save, but this is also Jesus who wants to journey with you. This is Jesus who wants to walk with you. This is Jesus who is going to come to you in your time of need. This is Jesus who is going to fill you. So we have Jesus who saves and Jesus Emmanuel who is with you, and you get Christmas. It's the essence of what the whole gospel is about. It's Jesus coming and Jesus saving and then Jesus journeying with you. It's why I would contend from Genesis to Revelation that this entire thing is a love story that a, a gracious Abba Father sent for his kids. And then he sent his son Jesus to come and to reach us. And even when we harden our hearts, even when we go the other direction, he is going to keep coming after us. And he, is, he will always attempt to be not only the God who saves, but the God who is with us. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him. And he took Mary home to be his wife, but he had no union with her. That's discipline. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave the son the name Jesus. Jesus. I want to look at a handful of things about Joseph because I think it's highly pertinent um, to us. Number one, uh, Joseph, I would propose to you, gets initially uh, very angry, fumed with anger. I would even say it would be a better translation than contemplated. But he fumed with anger, and he's able to um, somehow reprocess through an understanding of who God is, but he's able to reprocess that anger into grace. In other words, he is able to see Mary through the eyes of heaven, and he's able to, to, to walk through his anger. What I even love here is he doesn't deny it. He, he, he sits in it, um, but somehow he's making this supernatural transition, transaction, even in this Old Testament sense, where he is shifting that anger. That anger in him is shifting into grace and love. Some of you might have an anger problem. Some of you might have a greed problem. There's a lot of problems we could list, Right? Come on. <laughs> we could sit up here and write the whole litany out, right? But here's the thing. Wherever it is that you're stuck in and stuck on, this is the God who wants to take it and reprocess it into his grace and love. This is the God who wherever your weakness is and wherever your most brokenness is and wherever your most vulnerability is and wherever you've been hurt and abused, he wants to actually take it and he will help reprocess it and he will take your brokenness and ugliness off of you and give you his righteousness. It's this beautiful, like, transaction. So that you see Joseph go through that. And I think it's important to even understand that Joseph was a human and he struggled just like we struggle. 
He's a human and he responded just like we respond. And yet he is able to um, adopt. Go there a second. He adopted who? Joseph's a stepfather. Probably have some stepfathers in the room or stepmothers in the room. So the first thing I want you to see is that Joseph brings his anger to the Lord and is able to surrender to him, and he's able, the Lord transitions it supernaturally into grace. The second thing I want you to see is Joseph is so teachable. We could also say he's open to correction. It's one of my favorite attributes in humans. In fact, um, if I have, am with someone who is um, not teachable, I'm kind of like, it's just not interesting. Because guess what? I am the most imperfect person, and I know that you are the most imperfect person, and we are all in a journey. It's why we're always saying things like the Jesus journey, because it's the process of taking on the character and, and, and likeness of Christ Jesus. It's the process. It's already finished. It's all done. Yes, I'm righteous. Yes, I'm a son. Yes, I'm a saint, but I still have to walk it out every day, right? And, and that is the, it's, it's, it's the journey of taking on that. So I think what I love here is you see Joseph who was open to correction. In fact, I would actually say that the, one of the reasons, maybe the reason that God chose Joseph to raise Jesus is because he was teachable and humble. So now think just a minute. God uh, comes to earth in the form of a baby. So this baby is fully God and fully man. How does that work? That's a mystery I can't unpack for you. But he is fully God, and he is fully man. If you've never heard a preacher say that, welcome to Saltbox. <laughs> Jesus was raised and parented. Hebrews actually says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That means that you had a father in those early years, loving, perhaps correcting, guiding, teaching. Can you imagine little Jesus in whatever workshop or whatever job site they are on? And he's working with stones with his father. He is learning to chisel stones. He is learning to shape them. He is learning to put block on top of block. And you have little Jesus, the boy, who is fully God, and yet he's fully a little boy. And he is growing. And God chooses a man, not who's perfect. Perhaps God chooses a man who fumes with. And God says, I see your heart through your brokenness. And I choose you because I know that you're going to choose me. And you take this little babe and you walk with him and you grow him and you love on him and you teach him to understand the Old Testament law through the lens of Isaiah, through the suffering servant, through the one who recognizes the bruised reed or the dimly burning uh, wick. And all of a sudden you have Jesus, young Jesus, coming up with this father who is able to not just understand the Old Testament law, but he's somehow able to see by the eyes of the Spirit into the New Testament and grasp through Isaiah, this suffering servant, that this is the God who wants to take the broken and make it beautiful. And this is the God who didn't come to punish sinners. This is the God that came to save them. And this isn't a God who's waiting to get angry at you. No, no, no. This is the God that wants to forgive you and love you and bring you out of your brokenness into his wholeness to set your feet on his rock so that you can journey with him in this fiercely relational way. That's the God of heaven. 
And that's the God who put this father, Joseph, in place. I mean, I even love that Joseph wasn't this great, wealthy man. No, no, no. He didn't want a man who was out winning the world or conquering kings. No, no, no. He wanted a father who would walk with the boy Jesus. I can just imagine the two of them walking because Jesus would have started going to work with Joseph when he was a young man as his education. You just imagine the two of them walking hand in hand to go build stones as a stepdad. Come on. Come on. Number one, we have Joseph that reprocesses his anger into grace. Number two, we have Joseph that's open or teachable to correction from the Lord. Number three, we have Joseph that's open to divine guidance. Jeremiah 23, by the way, I found it in my notes. We have, number three, we have Joseph that's open to divine guidance. Tozer said it, Daniel said it this morning, Nathan quoted it a week or two ago, but uh, you and I have as much of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today as we want. I, James actually says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. What I think you have here in Joseph is a man who is, recognizes that he is not perfect, but he has a heart that is fully submitted or surrendered to the best of his ability, and he is seeking divine guidance. And you give him with four or five dreams, giving him divine guidance along the way. This is amazing. So you get this idea of this Joseph who's rough, so think of Joseph, muscular, rough, built. He's used, to, he's used to building with these stones and blocks. He's digging all day. He's, he's chiseling things. And uh, he, he is, he is uh, fully uh, just, just out in the, the field building. And yet he sees the world through the tenderness and the suffering servant of the prophet Isaiah. He is aware and can give compassion to where it is needed. And then he's raising this little Jesus along with him. And he is teaching even Jesus to have a heart that is postured towards God so that he can follow God day by day day. This is beautiful. If there's anything that I could do, if Abby and I could do as we raise our kids, it would be to teach them to have hearts that are um, inclined to him, ears that are turned to him, minds that are, are, are gazing upon him so that they could follow the divine revelation and guidance of God. Then I think, number four, you have Joseph, the theologian, who has this prophetic understanding of justice. And I would actually propose to you that the townspeople of this day probably wanted to do what with Mary? They're going to drag her out and stone her. Why would Joseph have packed up a nine-month pregnant Mary and put her on a donkey and taken her on a journey to Bethlehem? What would have happened if he'd have left her? No, go there a second. What would have happened if Mary or if Joseph didn't take Mary on that donkey? Probably would have stoned her. Probably would have killed her. So here's what I'm saying to you is Joseph's understanding of this compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love through the suffering servant of Isaiah and his understanding of the Old Testament law somehow um, allowed him to see with these compassionate eyes to understand the heart of Yahweh God and then to actually uh, shield Mary and Joseph. And uh, In fact, I would go so far as to say that Joseph and his character and who he was saved Jesus' life. 
Joseph absorbed the shame. Joseph absorbed the hatred. Joseph absorbed the animosity. And Joseph protected Mary and protected Jesus. It's absolutely so beautiful because the people would have uh, killed Mary and killed baby Jesus. So um, would the townspeople have ever gotten the story straight? Oh, come on. Go there a second. Some of you have things in your past. I actually have things in my past that are shameful. I hate living with them. They've been redeemed. They've been bought. God saved me, but they're still, they're still things, right? Come on. You don't have things, you're lying to me. <laughs> Joseph didn't cause this or create it. Mary didn't cause it or create it. But they would have had to live with a measure of public shame and public disgrace their entire lives. It never would have gone away. The angel didn't appear to Nazareth and say, hey everybody, the Holy Spirit did this. No, no, no. God required that they become suffering servants just like he was a suffering servant and that they live with the misunderstanding. That's a lot to carry. The fifth thing that I love about Joseph is he's obedient regardless of the personal cost. He absorbed the shame. And we would see Jesus do this again and again in the Gospels, but also for you and for me. He absorbs the shame. He absorbs the hatred. I think we also see Joseph who is fiercely courageous. I would actually say to you that if without Joseph, we would have no Christmas story. And then probably my, the last point, the thing that, that in some ways I love the most, is somehow you have Jesus, or you have Joseph, who understands his identity. He understands that he is from the line and lineage of King David. And he understands who he is, and he is able to function fully out of his identity, regardless of what anyone around him is saying. You see that? If there's anything I would want for me, for Abby, even for our kids, is that they would grasp fully their identity. Because when you know and you're confident who you are, it doesn't matter what everyone is saying or doing. You hear me? It's like who you are, uh, the essence of who you are in Christ Jesus, a son, a daughter, an heir, um, uh, a redeemed sinner, now a saint. All of those things, the reality of who you are is what flows out. And you get Joseph making decisions out of the reality of who he is created to be in King Jesus, in Yahweh God at that moment. Yeah? It's this beautiful story, this beautiful historical story place where you see Joseph who reprocesses anger. You see Joseph who's open to divine correction. You see Joseph who is open to divine guidance. You see Joseph who sees the law through the lens of the suffering servant of Isaiah. You see Joseph who's courageous and obedient regardless of the personal cost. And you see Joseph who makes decisions out of the essence of who he is, not what people say. Oh, could we be a group a church, a group of individuals like that. Would you guys come and close us in a song? Here's what I'd love for us to do. As we close, I suspect that you're probably like me, and there's places where you're going, I would love for the Lord Jesus to take this place and make it new. You might have places where you still 
fume with anger, whatever your fuming is. Can we do that? And can we open that up even as a people to, to recognize that this is the God who doesn't want you to deny your feelings or shove down what's happening, but this is a God who wants you to acknowledge them. Bring those things to him and let him exchange that brokenness for his beauty, for his redemption. This Christmas season, I actually want to invite you to become like Joseph and let Jesus reprocess your shame, your guilt, your brokenness. Let's stand and sing a closing song together. And then we'll go.